Welcome everyone to the Come to Believe Network's third virtual retreat as part of our ongoing design grant program. Today's retreat focuses on the wraparound supports that define the unique culture of student success at Arupe College and Doherty Family College. I am pleased to introduce our guest for today's first session, Mr. Paul Tuff. Paul is a distinguished author and journalist whose most recent book, The Inequality Machine, focuses on the higher education system in the United States, including Paul's reflections on Arupe College. Paul's previous works include Helping Children Succeed, How Children Succeed, and Whatever It Takes. He is also a contributing writer to the New York Times Magazine. We are thrilled to have him here today in conversation with CTB's president and CEO, Steve Katsuras. And with that, I'll turn it over to Steve. Hello, everyone. And uh, yeah, I am delighted to be having this conversation with, with our friend, Paul. Tell us a little bit, you know, Sam just listed some of the works that have influenced us in our work at Arupe College and come to believe, but what's your thematic trajectory as a writer? What topics have you focused on over the course of your career? And how did you end up writing about higher education? Um, okay, great questions. Uh, thematic trajectory. <laughs> it doesn't always feel like there's a thematic trajectory when, uh, when you're in the middle of a, of a career of any kind, but certainly a journalistic career. Um, but I'll do my best to 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 uh, create one, to back create one. Uh, first of all, very nice to see you, uh, uh, Father Katsuras, and, and hi to everyone who's out there. I'm excited to be a part of this today. Um, so I've written uh, four books and magazine articles as well, and I did not have a thematic trajectory in mind when I started uh, my reporting about 20 years ago. But I was interested in a couple of things. I was interested in children. Um, I didn't have any children myself. Now I've got two. But but I think even then I was interested in, in the, the neuroscience, the developmental psychology, the economics of childhood, what it takes, how, how children develop, and, and what it takes for them to to uh, to find a path through life that's that's a positive one for them and for their communities. And then the other um, subject that has always interested me is social mobility, is how um, a, a, a person from um, a difficult background, low income background, background of, of uh, trauma or, or um, problems of any kind, how they can change their lives, how they can get to a more positive future. And I'm interested in that just from a narrative point of view as a writer and a reader, uh, trying to understand how an individual goes through that process. But I'm also interested in it um, from a you know, social and economic point of view, how, um, uh, how we can have a less um, constricted social order, how, how people can, can move, can improve, can, can change their circumstances. I think that's a, a central question um, in our country or any country today. So, I've been looking at that through a variety of different lenses. My first book was about a man named Jeffrey Canada and his project, uh, the Harlem Children's Zone. Um, and I, I read about him about 20 years ago and was fascinated by this idea that he was taking this one neighborhood in Harlem and saturating it with all kinds of services, both social services and uh, edu educational services, uh, schools and school supports, all focused on having a whole community of children succeed. Um, and from there, I wrote uh, this book, How Children Succeed, and its sequel, Helping Children Succeed, that we're looking more broadly at um, child development, how our brains develop in childhood, um, how our uh, nervous system, stress response systems develop, and how that affects um, everything from education to, uh, to policing to politics. Um, 
And, and in both of those books, I was really interested in, in two things. One was individual factors, how an individual child develops. And the other was, was social structures, how the, 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 the kind of economic and social structures we have in our country and our culture uh, uh, affect the way children develop. So all that led me to college. Um, my fourth book, uh, The Inequality Machine, is about higher education and social mobility. And um, and in that case, I, I really wasn't sure starting off whether I was going to be focused more on individual factors, uh, what it was that 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 helped one student succeed or fail in college, or whether I was going to be looking more at structures. But the more that I looked at what was happening in higher education, the more I became uh, convinced that it was the structures that really mattered because that was really what, what, where the problem was. Um, you know, there were things that students could do to improve their outcomes, but the structure that they were were uh, embedded in was so um, unfair, uh, lopsided, and 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 often creating conditions for failure for so many students uh, that that seemed like it was the story. Um, and so that that's what led me to, to higher education, and that's what led me to write the book that I wrote. Okay, all right. So thank you for the uh, the thematic journey that that, that, that worked well. Um, let me ask you, during your research for the inequality machine, you visited Root Bay College in Chicago at Loyola University, I think three times, if I remember correctly. I remember vividly you calling me in my office and asking if uh, you can visit. I thought you were a crank call. I can believe that it was really Paul Tuff who was calling. So when you arrived at Root Bay, first impressions of Root Bay students, of the faculty there and staff members there. Um, well, you and I had a lot of conversations. So some, uh, many of my first, uh, my first observations were, were just sort of hearing your story and, and trying to understand uh, what had led you to, with, with your colleagues, to start Arupe. Um, but in, in attending classes and, and walking through the halls, I think I was struck by a couple of things. I mean, what, one was, you know, the, these, these were students who, um, who, I recognized from my 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 work um, reporting in Chicago, uh, both at, at you know Chicago institutes institutes of higher education. So I reported at University of Chicago. I reported at at Chicago community colleges, but before that, for how children succeed, I'd spent a lot of time in Chicago high schools, um, including some some pretty low income high schools, uh, and looking at what it took for for students to graduate from high school um, and and to go on to college, and so. Uh, you know, I, I was aware of, of a lot of the obstacles that a lot of those students faced and, and the, the low uh, um, success rates that a lot of them had in getting to a four-year degree. And so I was really struck that that the students that I was seeing at Arupe uh, were, you know, demographically anyway, very much like the students who I was seeing in Chicago high schools. They, they um, you know, they were great students, fascinating to talk to, but they were not... Um, Sort of demographically creamed, you know, they were not they were not the students who uh, were, uh, for one reason or another, the, the sort of the top the top students, the, the 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 ones who were beating the odds at their high schools. They were the ones who were facing the odds every day, um, and uh, and that was fascinating to me because I knew how many obstacles those students faced in getting through um, uh, post a post secondary career. Um, the second thing that struck me was how rigorous the academics were. Um, so I've, I've sat in on a lot of community college classes, um, including, you know, developmental math classes, and 
they they are often not super inspiring. You know, they are are they they're really all about struggle. They're all about students who who aren't feeling good about themselves and where they are, and often you know educators who aren't feeling that great about what's happening in the classroom. Uh, and and the, the there's just sort of like let's just get through this class, you know. Um, and what was happening in you know the philosophy classes and the ethics classes as well as the math and the English classes that I attended was some really high level uh, discussions and debates, um, a lot of like personal stories relating, um, as I was trying to do in my writing, relating structural factors in the economy and in the culture with the experiences that they were having as young people in Chicago, um, as young people trying to get degrees uh, at, in, in Chicago. Um, so there were just like, it, it, there was just this, this, this sort of academic um, curiosity and uh, an eagerness that I didn't always see in other classrooms, other college classrooms. Um, and then I say the third thing that I noticed was uh, this idea of intrusive advising. I think that, I'm not sure if that was your phrase or mine, but, um, but I think, I think uh, intrusive was definitely your idea. It's not something you often hear a, um, an educator say that we're intrusive. Uh, but that was what you said, um, uh, and and I, it made a lot of sense to me that that this idea that uh, it wasn't just this sort of sink or swim mentality where like okay this is college we're going to offer some student supports we're going to offer the classes if you show up you want to learn great otherwise go your own way um, I think what what you knew and what you convinced me of was that that approach was not working for a lot of the students who come to Arupe. And then instead, they needed a, uh, a, a a stronger helping hand um, and a more insistent helping hand. Um, and you know, obviously, you, there are limits to your intrusion. Students uh, at the in the end of the day have to make their own decisions. Um, but I think you were just very aware that you needed uh, that they needed more help and more support and more. Um, that support had to be initiated uh, on your side um, rather than on theirs more often. Um, and so that was amazing to see. Okay, so you've alluded to this um, already, but um, at the risk of sounding sort of self-promotional, I have to share this quote uh, from your book, from The Inequality Machine. Uh, you wrote, I think it, I mean, it's Arupe, I think Arupe may be doing a more impressive job of keeping its students enrolled and on track for success than any other institution I visited. So what about Arupe led you to this, you know, great compliment for my colleagues and, and our work, um, but to this conclusion? I mean, it was really just looking at the numbers. I mean, so so it, being in, in, as I said, being in the classrooms, being in the hallways, speaking with you and, and other educators there, um, I was impressed in lots of different ways, impressed with the stories that I heard from students. But but the overall numbers, I think, were what made me say that. Um, and, and, you know, uh, like on the surface, uh, looked at one way, uh, Arupe's numbers were not as impressive as those at some other places. I think when I was there, your um, uh, graduation rate was, you know, in the, the low, low 50s. Um, and, you know, I'd been spending time at Princeton, where the four-year, uh, six-year graduation rate for four-year students is like 90 seven percent or something like that right um what was really striking though was because i knew the statistics about um low-income chicago public school graduates i knew that 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 51 or 52 percent represented a tremendous value added um that the the success rates for uh low-income students who were not at the top of their class in higher education 
um, in a place like Chicago is just exceptionally low. Um, and so I, I know you're not satisfied with uh, 51%, and, and I know a lot of students aren't either. But that just means there are uh, hundreds of students, um, I'm sure by this point, thousands, who uh, at, at any other institution would not be graduating, would not be on a path for uh, academic success or uh, most likely economic financial success, whose lives were really being changed by the experience that they were having in Arupe. Um, and so, so that was more than anything. It was those numbers. It was, it was, and 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 seeing seeing the students and seeing the faces, seeing their lives, understanding their stories, understanding what was changing in their lives as a result of Arupe. That's what led me to that conclusion. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you know outcomes um, when students graduate, um, going on for further studies, or um, being more workforce prepared and um, heading hopefully towards economic stability. You've mentioned this earlier in our conversation today, but um, the interaction between higher ed and social mobility. So can you talk a little bit more about that interaction from your perspective, from your research, from your writing, and where do you think we are today? Sure. Well, I, so I spent a lot of time in trying to understand that question of, of, of the interaction between social mobility and higher education. I spent a lot of time reading history and trying to understand how the higher education system in the United States had changed over time. Um, did a lot of reporting about the, the GI Bill, spoke, spoke to uh, one of the few remaining GIs uh, who had gone through uh, school on the GI Bill. Um, and, and in reading that history and sort of understanding the statistics, understanding how unique and unusual the American um, system of higher education was in the, the first half, first sort of three quarters of the 20th century, um, it, it was clear to me that in the, in the past, the relationship between higher education and social mobility in the United States was pretty clear. Higher education was the great engine of social mobility in, in the United States. It is what powered the, the post-war economic boom, the, um, the, the, the growth of the middle class, the shrinking of the gap between rich and poor. All of that came from the fact that the United States uh, coming out of World War II had a higher education system that was um, head and shoulders above that of every other country in the world. Um, and then when you look at the, at the, at the data, um, and economists have looked at this pretty carefully, you, there's a, there's a, there's a point where that starts to change in the seventies and eighties. Um, and that change just has continued, uh, to today where, um, higher education stops being an, an engine of social mobility for the culture as a whole. It is still an engine of social mobility for some students, for some individuals. Um, it is still the thing that if you if you play your cards right and get lucky, um, uh, the right kind of higher education can still absolutely be life transforming for especially for low income students. But as a system, uh, something um, is really broken now. And, um, and so it when I would talk to students, and I talked to lots, uh, mostly from low-income backgrounds, the way they perceived it, I think, and, and accurately, was that higher education was the obstacle. It was the thing that they had to get around or get through in order to have the sort of social mobility that they wanted in order to, 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 to have the kind of um, comfortable, stable, middle-class uh, life that every American deserves. Um, and so that changed the way that higher education went from being an instrument of social mobility to an obstacle of social mobility is really the story that I tried to tell in this book, to try to understand why that had happened, how that had happened, and, and what it was doing to the students. Um, All right. 
Can you say any more about those obstacles or you know, the, just the flaws of higher ed now and what prevents students from you know, completing degrees and, uh, and you know, participating in the life of a university and enjoying the social mobility that universities, I think, are intended to provide? Yeah, well, so so there are lots, um, and and uh, and my book, you know, took me down lots of, you know, some 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 of them are ex extremely specific it's at individual colleges. Some of them are huge, um, but I'd say I, I would say there are two big ones, two big obstacles that I see to to higher education being a, more of a an engine of social mobility. And the first one is is sort of straightforward. It's cost. Um, you know, th there there aren't a lot of other places in our um, economic system where, and, and certainly not in our history, where the thing you need in order to achieve uh, social mobility, like costs money, right? Where you, you need money in order to, to get to that point, right? And, and obviously that is going to um, create a really un, unbalanced and unequal system. It's gonna uh, perpetuate the inequalities that already exist um, in our economic system. Um, and and I think it, it 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 it's something that changed in the United States over the last few decades in a way that none of us really um, noticed as it was happening. It was there was never sort of like a a conference where we decided you know this 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 system that we've got of 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 giving free public education to individuals in order to help them um, improve themselves. That we're going to stop doing that, <laughs> and instead we're going to make everyone pay. We're going to have this um, this this thing, a degree that is for so many people the 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 uh, the hinge that's going to uh, help them um, get to a different place in the class system. We're now going to make it really expensive, beyond what most families can afford. We're going to turn it into an instrument of debt, often long term debt, um, and. Uh, and we're going to reduce public support for uh, higher education in all kinds of ways. We never, you know, we never had the the politician who made that announcement, and yet it happened. It happened uh, nationally, and it happened in all fifty states um, over the course of decades, but especially over the course of the last fifteen years or so. Uh, and it's really, it's really, um, it's really been a disaster. Um, so that's one is cost. The second uh, big obstacle, I think, is this is this kind of like sink or swim mentality that a lot of colleges have. I think we we have this um, this kind of archaic uh, idea in our heads that you know high school, you know K twelve education is something where the teachers have some responsibility for helping their students succeed. And like, yes, we want we want students to have initiative and uh, be able to take care of themselves. But it's our responsibility as educators to get our students uh, through graduation day, right? That's that's our goal. That's our uh, we can take pride when they graduate. Um, we, we do whatever it takes to help them get there. And then in, at some magical moment, when kids are 17 or 18, they suddenly enter a system that doesn't work that way at all, right? Where institutions seem barely invested in the question of whether their students uh, graduate and where in fact there is among some uh, educators, especially I think a certain professorial class, this idea that failing students is is a a mark of of of, of sort of courage and quality, right? That if you're a um, a freshman math teacher uh, and you're fail failing a lot of students, you are protecting the institution of math, right? From these from these uh, undeserving uh, 
uh, masses. Um, and, and that idea, I think, uh, is as the, the demographics uh, and as the finances of college have changed, um, that is a really toxic, has become a really toxic idea. Uh, and it, it, it has led to the kind of inequalities that has perpetuated the kind of inequalities that we see in higher education. And one of the things that I take from Arupe and other institutions uh, that I wrote about is how solvable that problem is. Again, it's not, it's not a, a, a sort of a magic key, it's not a silver bullet, but doing the more sort of intrusive uh, advising approach that you're describing, using some of the techniques that I wrote about as well at places like the University of Texas, um, simply caring whether your students graduate and how they do and putting in place some basic systems and structures to help them succeed, that change of mindset on the part of educators makes a huge difference in terms of uh, how that experience works for students. Um, and much more broadly, I think it, it removes that, that huge obstacle uh, from higher education being the, the kind of instrument of social mobility that it used to be. Well, I'm so glad you raised the uh, sink or swim mentality. You know, the theme of this virtual retreat that you're getting such a, such a great start is about the wraparound support services at Adarupe College, which we believe really um, gets the student across the finish line. So as you know, uh, you and I are speaking, but we're speaking in front of this audience of educators from universities around the country that are very interested in the model. They know they've visited Arupe College last month and they're thinking about replicating it on, on their campuses. So they're deeply committed to the things that you and I are committed to, structural improvement, access, affordability, retention, completion. So what advice do you have uh, for these university leaders based on your experiences of, of higher education? Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, I just want to say that it's it's an honor to get to speak to that uh, that that group. I'm sorry I can't uh, be with you and see you in person. Um, but it, you know, the, you all are the people I think who are doing some of the most important work in higher education. And I'm I'm thrilled that you're you're uh, follow, uh, interested in the Arupi model and, and thrilled to be a part of this conversation. Um, and, and so, you know, in terms of actual specific advice, you have a lot of people here today who are going to give you much uh, better and more coherent advice than I can give. The, the one piece of maybe encouragement that I would give is um, that, that from, from having spent years reporting uh, on higher education, I, I know how difficult higher education administration is, especially right now. The, you know, the system is hard on students, but it is hard on uh, on educators and administrators as well. The the fact that it is so um, dominated by finances now, um, I think, is hard on everybody in the system, uh, and I think it it leads to a. Um, it leads to a, a situation for, I mean, I, I talk mostly to admissions people uh, in my reporting, but I, but I also talk to, you know, uh, provosts and, and um, uh, math professors and lots of people in different parts of the system. And I think there's this, there's this, the, this sense that like the main goal is to survive, right? <laughs> that there, there are so many pressures on, on uh, colleges these days and colleges and universities that mostly we're just trying to like get through the day and get through the year. Um, and, and so I think, what is important about the, the work that you all are doing in, in considering this model is that this is really like what higher education is for, right? And, and looking again, looking back at, at the GI Bill and at the, the, the history in the 20th century of higher education, 
that was sort of an, a national assumption at a certain point, right? That the point of higher education is social mobility, that we're here to uh, help the kind of students who otherwise would not have opportunities to, um, to succeed in our economy, and we want to give them the tools they need to succeed. That, that is kind of what college was for, for decades and decades. Um, and how to do that has really changed and higher education has not changed with it, right? It, it is still working great for certain students who probably would be okay <laughs> without a lot of higher education, but they're getting lots more from often from very elite institutions and they are very prepared for uh, success in today's economy. And then our system is creating uh, lots of other um, students and graduates who are are not at all well prepared, right? Um, and those are the kids that that are, are we need to help that are, are not only our higher education system needs to help that our culture needs to help that our economy needs to help the fact that there are so uh, few positive pathways for them for for you know low income students who aren't necessarily at the top of their class who don't necessarily you know love going to school every day uh, the fact that we don't have for those millions and millions of kids a system um, to help them become, you know, sort of fully functioning members of, of society and, and the economy um, is a disaster. And it's it's been going on for decades. It's created uh, a lot of the political strains, uh, a lot of the cultural strains that I think are, are uh, making life in the United States uh, stressful right now. And, and, um, and as well as those sort of political and economic factors, it's just, you know, it's just morally wrong that we are not, um, uh, that we're not helping everyone the way that we used to, that we're not creating a pathway where if you are a student who um, just <laughs> just wants to sort of do the right thing um, and, and be able to be a part of the American middle class, that we don't have an answer for them, we don't have a pathway for them, um, that that's that's just wrong and 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 it has had um it has had really deleterious effects i think on all sorts of things so the fact that you are trying to um uh change that i think is is huge is really important for uh the institutions you work for but also for the country as a whole um so i guess my advice is just hang in there um i'm glad you're investigating this and giving it a try it is hard work um but i think it there's no more important work to be done right now well, thanks very much. You know, reading um, How Children Succeed back in maybe the winter of 2013, 2014, um, before I even knew I was going to Arupe. And then you had a Sunday Magazine, New York Times Magazine article, Who Gets to Go to College? And by then I had my assignment from the Jesuits that I was going to Arupe. Those were so influential. So I really I thank you for your contributions to this discussion of higher education and really your 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 influence on how Arupe College was was uh, was shaped. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you so much, and thanks to everyone for being a part of this.